Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have really interesting things going on. Lucia Brancato is an excellent event planner and an English teacher. Her hobbies include creative writing and travel. There's something about Lucia that gets your attention. Maybe it's her high standards. Maybe it's her crystal clear thinking. When you hear from her, you're going to realize instantly that you are speaking with a very organized, hardworking person who has a very kind heart. So today we're going to discuss her life story and her philosophy. So, hey, Lucia. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Um, We are recording this on May the 26th of 21. And I don't know about you, but for me, this year has been wild and mostly rewarding, Um, even though it was just flat out weird and bad. The year wasn't bad. Like, the school year wasn't bad. The world was bad. Right. So I'm just kind of curious, what was your work life like for you? Right. I will say I came into this school year kind of at an advantage that you wouldn't think a lot of people have in the sense of this was my first year as a full-time teacher, and I don't know what St. James was supposed to look like other than this year. So for me, this was normal St. James. Okay. Um, Next year is going to be where I see what it's supposed to be. So Mm. I don't even know what I was robbed of this year, Um, and it's it's a silver lining of starting your first year during COVID. <laughs> I guess it can um, only get better yeah, from it can here. Only get it's better. kind of what people are thinking about. Right. It can only get better. Um, it was very, very hard. It was a tough year, but it was so rewarding. I mean, especially just saying goodbye to my kids this week. It just, this year filled my soul in ways I didn't think that it could be filled. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, tell stories about that. How did, uh, yeah. tell me a story. Um, you know, when you receive things from kids and you're like, this is going in my box full of memories. Um, so the first essay that my juniors wrote this year, um, we were in class and we were structuring outlines and I'm just looking out into a sea of blank eyes, right? Because their masks are on. Right. So I, it's hard to gauge how they're processing things. Um, and I just got this sense that they were very stressed and I was like, something's off. So I was asking them, you know, what directly do you need? Like, what is stressing you out? What do we need to walk through? And one of my kids was like, I just don't understand how to structure my thesis. And from then on, I don't know how to structure my claims. And so I abandoned my lesson for that day. And we just redid it. And we went over what is your thesis supposed to look like? And we went through example after example. And I had them work on their own. So I had them pair up. And I received an email that day from one of my students. And it was very early on in the year. Like, this is like September, right? Um, and we had just started school in September. So right, it was within right. the same month. And she sent me an email just about how thankful she was that I went through her essay like I did and helped her, but that how my class just brings her joy and it just puts a smile on her face. And it's one of those emails that I have kept and I have laminated and it's like, I know that I'm going to look at this and just be glad that I have it. Where Um, did you post it? Where did I post it? I yeah, did yeah, post yeah. it on Instagram. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean like in your house. Oh, I have just a box oh. of things that I'm going, that okay. I want to keep. Okay. Um, and they just filled with my favorite memories. That's pretty awesome. Yes. So I suppose whenever you're feeling down, you could just go through the box. Yeah, exactly. Just I have several little... things from this year that I'll be putting in this box. Okay. Okay. So then, you know, first year teacher, uh, things are probably going to be hard for people. So I guess maybe tell me a hard story. 
Yeah. Um, I would say a really hard story was um, dealing with kids who hate English almost that drives their passion how much they hate English. I, I used to teach English yeah. and I used to teach math. Yeah. And, and oh I, my gosh. in my mind, the, those two things are on the opposite end of the spectrum right. more than anything. And so naturally I, I sympathized with everybody. Like, okay, you hate English. What do you like? They're like, oh, I like math. Yeah. I'm like, well, well, I totally see why. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. I, math is not yeah. my strong suit. And just, so when they would walk in here and when they're not very good at something, I mean, I was the same kind of kid. You put up walls. And so I had this one kid and he was so good at flying under the radar. Mm. And he was so good at, um, you know, not drawing attention to that he didn't know what was going on. Um, and it wasn't until very late in the semester, and I realized that he missed everything from the unit, and I had to reteach the unit um, to a kid who already didn't like my subject. Yeah, he hates he it. He hates English. He doesn't um, think he's any good right. at it. And but they're then, so good at flying under their radar. They're, they're like so good. 10 feet underwater yeah. before they even realize they're wet. Right, right. And oddly enough, you know, I don't think that he left my classroom now, you know, liking English. But I was able to now see, you know, what it takes to dig deeper and to mm. go further. Because um, that that was a really hard part of this year. But that was just teaching, right? Like that wasn't COVID related. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that me and the kid, we were closer because of it, um, which ended up being a really great positive. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so you do feel like you are closer to to him now? I do think so. Okay. I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> good, good. That's absolutely awesome. I hope awesome. that if he needs help next year, he'll come back to, to my room. Yeah. Well, I hope he does too. I, English is just one of those things where you're going to use it all of your life. You're probably mm -hmm. going to read. You're going to write. I feel like everybody loves to read because they're reading magazine articles. They're reading things on the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if people find something that they personally think is interesting, you're just going to use it your whole yeah. life. Right. essentially. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. And then if you don't really learn to write or speak, then you will use those things, but you'll use them poorly. Right. So, I mean, what a service to humanity yeah. that the English teachers are providing for everybody. I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, and I can't say the same thing about math, not to talk about too much about myself, but just one time I was at a church and then afterwards somebody came up to me and said, Oh, I hear you teach math. I used algebra on my job today and I was supposed to be like all cheerful, like, oh, wow, I'm doing something that's useful for this person. This was the one and only time this happened to no. me in 15 <laughs> years of teaching math. Right. So that I thought, okay, nobody uses algebra in the right. real world. Exactly. You know? So, but no, we love the math people. Yes, no, we absolutely. Love them. We need them. What drew you to teaching in the first place? Because you have a whole alternative career that seems like it's also yes, going. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was working at an event space. Okay. Um, and I had been there for quite some time. And it was so much fun. But I felt like I needed something deeper mm. um and I recalled the last time that, like I was critically thinking about something or I like got joy from something and it okay. wasn't until I had read um Seabiscuit oh okay um which is now my favorite book and I was just talking to my dad about it and we're talking about like the historical part of it and we we're talking yeah. about how well um Helen Brand writes it right 
And I was like, this is what I need to do. Like, I need to discuss literature. Like, I need to get back into that environment. And so I um, just decided, I was like, I'm going to go to Rockers. I'm going to get my master's in education and do my certification. And it's been awesome. I worked at Liberty North. And when I worked at Liberty North, I thought I thought at first, you know, it was English that drove it for me, right? Like, that's why I want to get back in there. Okay. And now I'm like, I can teach anything. I mean, I can't teach anything, right? Like, I won't be a great teacher at anything, but as long as I'm working with kids, like, that's what keeps me in the classroom. That's the big thing. It's the kids. Right. My mom used to always say, she was a high school librarian, that uh, people would ask, what do you teach? And she said, you should say, I teach students. You know, I teach people, not that I teach English. Yes, I completely agree. And that's what, that is what kept me through this year. It wasn't The Great Gatsby, as much as I love Fitzgerald's work. Oh, for sure. It wasn't The Crucible, as much as I love, you know, the allegory that Arthur Miller was doing. It, it wasn't that that kept me going this year. It was my kids that kept me going this year. It would be the, a heck of a book that I could teach for, say, 30 years straight and reread, like, all 30 years. Right. And just watch. <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those people who does reread books. Me too. I've read Gatsby, like, nine times. I read it, I think this was my sixth time reading it. I'm pretty addicted yeah. to the movie, you know, yes. with Leonardo DiCaprio. I Absolutely, we played it. it was I think awesome. it's much better than the 1974 version. I haven't seen that one. I, I kind of want to see the 1926 version. I oh. think. Well, I think it was 26. I don't know. I don't quite know. You know. But yeah, yeah I, I want to see them all, and I just love right. it. But yeah, I would get bored with it, and I would just prefer the kids. The kids are the best thing. The kids are yeah. The kids is what drives me. Yeah. Okay. So that's what got you into it in the first place. Well, let's get into your secret origin story. Um, <laughs> You know, just what type of a kid you were yeah. back in the day. I, I just love to see if the five-year-old Lucia is the same as the Lucia of today. Yeah, not at all. Um, I am a middle child. Okay. So I have an older sister named Marie, um, okay. and I have a younger brother named Joe. And I was very quiet. Okay. Like painfully, painfully oh. shy. Wow. Um, where I would just kind of follow the crowd. I would follow the movement. Wherever my sister was going, I was her shadow. Oh, okay. Um, and it wasn't until my family we moved from the Gladstone area to Parkville. Um, so I had to move from St. Pat's to St. Therese. Okay. And it was starting my sixth grade year. And at St. Therese, it was a much bigger school, so I had to be, I couldn't be in the same vicinity as my sister, who was in eighth grade. Oh. Um, and so that was, like, I didn't know anybody. I was taken away from my sister. Um, I couldn't see her, you know, during the day. No more shadowing. Right. No, no more, more hiding behind my sister. Um, and that is when I broke through my shell. So it wasn't until I was about 11 years old going to a different school, and then I got, like, this burst of confidence. Okay. And... I mean, it just like, I it, it just came to me and I ran with it. Um, and it, you know. Where do you think that came from? Because you were painfully, well, maybe not painfully, but you were shy. Right. I think that growing up, I always knew that I was a loyal kid. Okay. Um, but my loyalty wasn't really put to the test until, you know, middle school drama and <laughs> all that stuff. And it wasn't until I had to start sticking up for people. And okay. that came in seventh grade. Oh. And then all of a sudden I found my voice and I found that I was a defender and I found that I was a loyal friend and I'll, I just Okay. Okay. Because, well, okay. I, I don't know junior high from the female point of view, but just from what you were saying with drama, I'm just going to assume storytelling behind people's backs, backstabbing. Yes, all of that nasty 
middle school stuff. And it happens at every school. It's not just mine. Um, it's human nature. It's human nature. It's that weird age. It's the awkward stage. Yeah. Um, and it's a hard time. Middle school is a really hard time. But well, that was when yeah. I found who I was supposed to be. So I'm still, I'm grateful for this. So guys. they would have, somebody would leave the room. People would start talking trash on Brenda or yeah. whoever left the room. And then you would defend Brenda. Right. If Brenda was part of my group and Brenda was part of my people, okay. I was coming to bat for Brenda. How did people react to that? Because um, if I'm talking trash on Brenda, now suddenly you're defending Brenda. I'm Maybe they're going to argue with you or I'm going to turn eight shades of red and get embarrassed. It was more of the embarrassed. Okay. It was more of the... Um, Someone sticking up for someone that I'm talking about. Um, that side of it, that was middle school, you know. Okay. High school, it was definitely more, oh, I will debate this with you, or I will get into this with you. Um, oh, which, you know, they got a little bit more confrontational in high yeah. school? Oh, absolutely. And I okay. was just right there with them. You were um, okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> not, you know, I, again, just so glad of, you know, evolving and becoming who you are. Well, you seem very sweet, but you also... Just remind me a little bit of the expression of uh, iron fist and a velvet glove. <laughs> you know, they always said that about Margaret Thatcher. Very, oh, very really? sweet. But just always remember, Margaret Thatcher controls the nuclear arsenal right. of Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will say there has been a lot of growth. Um, and that's, you know, you want growth as a yeah, human being. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that when you have to step up for your people and you have to defend your people, that just has always been something I'm proud of that I will always do. And, you know, you can be a kind human and mm -hmm. still stick up for those who need to be stick up for. I think it's for. easier to be a kind human if you stick up for those people because, I mean, that's true kindness. Right. True kindness is being willing to argue that way. Plus also, I think it's good because then you figure out who you really are. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just blend in with every crowd, right. wherever you go, I mean, it's it's great that you're a chameleon, you know, <laughs> but, you know, sooner or later, yeah. you're going to land on plaid and then the predator right. is going to get you. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. You might as well toughen up a little bit beforehand. And then also people know that if you'll defend somebody who's not in the room, they also know that, oh, my goodness, Lucia is kind of like Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, there's a line in there where they said, Atticus is the same man uptown as he is in his own house. Mm -hmm. Totally consistent that, yeah. everywhere Absolutely. he goes. Absolutely. So. What, that's like the best compliment I've ever seen okay. <laughs> compared to Atticus Finch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Hey, nobody's ever compared me to Atticus Finch. <laughs> He's the best. Shoot. Okay, so have you ever done a personality test? I have. I did um, a few in college. Okay. If like, I were forced like to... colors test. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. if I were forced to guess, I'd say you're an ENFJ, if you did the Myers-Briggs. Um, I don't... I just know that I did the colors test. Okay. Like, blue and gold? Mm-hmm. I bet you're probably a combination of those two. I was majority gold. Okay. And I think there was a little bit of blue. A little bit of blue. Because mm -hmm. blue's kind of like the artsy side that would yeah. be attracted to English. Yeah. And I, then gold is kind of like the standards. We have high standards. Yes. I have very mm -hmm. high standards. I typically like to be the leader in the room. Um, I typically like to be the one in charge. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was like majority gold, then there was like a little splash of blue in there. <laughs> ah, nice. Nice. Yeah. I guess color coordinated and everything. Right. So then what else about high school? What else really kind of stands out? Um, I was very involved. Um, and I wasn't this like stellar student who was in all the honors classes. I was not, um, didn't have straight A's, wasn't, you know, going home and just starting my homework immediately. I was never that kid. 
but I was the kid that worked hard. Okay. Um, you know, if I if I got a B in math, it's because I worked hard to get the B in math. Um, and I actually didn't have a favorite subject until okay. my sophomore year. My okay. English teacher pulled me aside and complimented mm. something I wrote. Oh, wow. Um, my senior year, my teacher used my work as examples. And so I was like, I'm good at this. Wow. Like, I'm a good writer. And they built this confidence within me. Um, so English became my favorite subject. Okay. And then I was just super involved. I was a cheerleader my first two years um, because of a teammate getting hurt. Okay. I then had to move to dance team because I can no longer be a flyer. Um, and then I was, you know, on yearbook, though I don't think I really did anything. Um, yeah, I played soccer for a few years, which they should not have let me on the team. I was not good. Um, but yeah, just got very involved. Super involved. Yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to. I knew that I needed a good resume. I knew that I needed to build my resume up. I knew that I needed to have experience working with people and doing different things. And that's what I went out there and I did. Did you uh, enjoy some of those activities more than others? Yes. I was very passionate about cheer. Okay. I knew that I was good at it. Um, it's one of those things, right? Like, you know you're good at something, so you keep doing it and you pour yourself into it. That's how I was with cheerleading. Um, but once I was, I was pretty small girl, so once... Um, that I couldn't become a flyer anymore. There was nothing really I could do on the cheer team during stunts. So I moved thought, over to the dance. Yes, and I went to the dance team, which okay. was not a good fit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was put in the back for a reason. Okay. It was something that, that you tried because cheer was not available. So exactly. it was an experiment. Yes. And okay. I did that for two years. So you're open. You're you're open to new experiences. Yes. To but, a certain extent. But you're yes. honest enough to admit that, you know, okay, so I'm glad that I tried this, but once is enough. Yes. Kind of one and done. Yes. Gotcha. Well, I did it for two years, but Oh, yeah. two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two and done. Okay. <laughs> so, well, then college comes along and just kind of dying to know what your college experience was like. Yeah. So I went to Mizzou um, and I chose Mizzou solely on the fact that my sister was there. Okay. Um, I wanted Greek life and I didn't want just the itty bitty five sorority Greek life that some colleges have. Like I want the large scale Greek life of Greek town. Um, so that's why I chose Mizzou. <laughs> There's like, no other reason. How many sororities and fraternities are there in Mizzou? We have, um, when I was there, we had 16 sororities okay. and we had about 34 fraternities. Oh, wow. So the, yeah, it's, it's a very large, um, yeah, it's like environment. 50. Yeah, it's Holy very large. Wow. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be involved in that. So I went to Mizzou, um, loved every second of my time at Mizzou. And I was very involved in college as well. Okay. I was, I joined my sorority, Gamma Phi Beta. Okay. Um, my sister was a junior when I was a freshman. I became vice president my sophomore year. Oh my gosh, then, that's yeah. quite the accomplishment. It was awesome. Isn't that something reserved for seniors in a lot of no, cases? No, um, typically at Mizzou, not reserved, but taken by well, seniors. Well, typically at Mizzou, or at least in my chapter, you would have your second semester um, sophomores start on the executive council. Okay. And then that would bleed into their first semester junior year. Okay. Um, and then sometimes you might have the president stick um, or someone else as an upperclassman stick and become, you know, the, the president for their junior year into senior year. Okay. That was pretty rare. Yeah. Because um, you have to live in the house. There are other like restrictions and requirements that come with that. Um, so yeah, so I was a sophomore, became vice president, and then my Junior year into my senior year, I actually was on the board of Panhellenic Association. And What's that? And that is the executive board that overlooks all of the sororities at Mizzou. Wow. So I was vice president of recruitment 
for Mizzou. Is there some sort of like a national position for people who are, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 or 35 years old where they just dedicate their whole life to overseeing the sorority? There might be. Um, every single sorority has a um, like larger like national scale. And Gamma Phi Beta had an opportunity where I could have, after I graduated, taken a year and gone to every single chapter in the United States okay. to help out. Um, the problem with that is it was just every single week you were traveling to a new campus mm. and that was just, and you were living in the sorority houses. Um, <laughs> so that just didn't really sound appealing to okay, me. Okay. So like once um, you graduate, you kind of don't want to live can, in this sorority house anymore. You can anymore. go back. Yeah. Like once I graduated, I was like, I don't, I think I'm ready, you know, to, okay. to not share a room. It was beautiful in its it own time and place. It was a great experience. Yeah. Okay. And the right time and place. Now, when you say you were very involved and there's 50 different sororities and fraternities i'm thinking they're all very very different from each other you know you have your party sorority you have your service sorority what was your sorority and how were you involved right so i um my sorority's reputation which everyone has a reputation right and yeah yeah and yeah. yeah like this is the service yeah. sorority and unfortunately it's because one thing happens oh, no. and then that's that sets the reputation for every single sorority or fraternity. You are the mayhem sorority. <laughs> um, so I would say my sorority, well, I, I mean, I obviously come from a biased standpoint. Yeah. Um, but we were known, like, we were very close um, to an, you know, a, a beautiful extent. Like, it was sisterhood through and through. Oh, cool. Um, I still, my best friends are all across the country. We, mm. Every single day we talk. Um, there's 10 of us in our close friend group still. Um, and you're so tight. Yes. Yeah. Like those, they're my people. Okay. Um, and I graduated four years ago and we still talk every single yeah. day. So it's just, I would say that was our, our biggest thing. Um, but yeah, other than Greek life, I was also involved in rocking against multiple sclerosis. Okay. Which I hope to somehow bring to Kansas City in some way. Um, we, what, what, what is the name of it? Rocking against multiple sclerosis. Oh, okay. So okay. we, um, raise money for the, those in Columbia who have MS. Okay. Um, and we, if someone needed a wheelchair, they would send their request to Rams. Okay. Um, and we would, you know, raise a bunch of money and we would go out and we'd buy their wheelchair and then bring it to their house. If they needed service center on their house, we would go to their house and we would do it. Um, my year we raised, I want to say $85,000 wow. um, for the people in Columbia. So that was very rewarding. It was, I, I did Rams for about three years. It was awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So your sorority, I mean, when you say you were super involved, just to kind of get back to that for a second, are you saying like you're the person who helped organize the service activities or I don't know, maybe the the parties or the whatever people so, do? So um, on the executive council, I served as vice president. Uh -huh. So I just, anything that my president needed, I was there for her. Um, I facilitated a lot of, um, you know, executive to nationals communication. Okay. Um, anytime that nationals had to send someone to the sorority, I was on organizing that. Um, but we had a social planner like oh, we had okay. and I had my team underneath me um mine was a lot of administration work okay um, as the vice president but we had someone who was in charge of philanthropy we had someone who's in charge of recruitment you know different roles and you probably knew a lot about each of those departments you have to yeah because we're you know I was a part of me and the president we were the one once leading them okay okay yeah. so is there anything else about college that you would love to tell me 
Just that I loved it. Go okay. Tigers. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to graduation then. Um, because I, I think maybe is that when you got into event planning? Yes. Well, I graduated from Mizzou and I actually went into research marketing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. With the company. Um, and research marketing fits a lot of different personalities. It does okay. not fit mine. Okay. Um, it was a little too number crunchy for me and a little too, you know, survey and analyzing. Yeah, um, I, I think especially everything is data analytics for about yes. the last 15, 20 years where, you know, Google has figured out who is going to click on what. Right. It's kind of like they know me better than I know yes, me, which creepy. is creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so yeah. East I, Germany, Shazi, right. yeah. secret police. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I did that for a few months. Um, and then through actually my boss of that company... Um, she introduced me to someone who had connections with the events planning. And I knew that I was always interested in that, um, especially after planning recruitment. I knew that that was something that I wanted to get into. Okay. Um, and she led me to the company that owns, you know, the event space that I worked for. And that was amazing. It was a really great experience. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it was as close to the Devil Wears Prada as I could get have you okay. seen that movie? With you know, I've seen clips of it. Okay. And I probably should see the whole thing because I hear it's very funny. It's an awesome movie. You should absolutely well, watch it. Well, here's my problem as a guy. Like, I pick up The Devil Wears Prada, and then I pick up something with Clint Eastwood, and then I think, I really should see The Devil Wears Prada. Right. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like the guy's right. situation. Right. I mean, if I ever did see it, I'm sure I would think it was funny. Yeah. It's awesome. It's a really great movie. Um, long story short, it's the assistant who just gets... It's the the lowest part of the job, right? Okay. Like anything that they she can to prove her name or to prove her worth, that's what she's doing. Okay. Um, and my boss at the time thought that he was Meryl Streep and he mm. was ready to test me. He was ready okay. to, you know, how hard will this girl work? Um, the story that sticks out to mine, it was my second week on the job. I was overseeing my very first event. Um, and my boss was at a conference. Our headquarters were in Baltimore and he was obsessed with the San Benedetto sparkling water. Okay. Um, and he was obsessed with sugar-free Red Bull and he forgot to put in his carry-on apparently, um, or to pack his San Benedetto sparkling water in a sugar-free Red Bull. He needs these things he to be happy. to live, I Okay, guess. <laughs> to function in the morning. Yes, Got apparently. Okay. So he calls me, tells me that he forgot these things, and I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And he tells me, you know, I need you to find them for me. I need you to deliver them to my hotel room. So I'm overseeing an event. Okay. Meanwhile, like there was not a request. It was a demand. Like I need these by my hotel room by this time. I can't even imagine demanding anything like that. No, but I've been bizarre. a lifelong teacher. Right. I think if I demanded a paper no. clip, yeah. people would look at me and say, what? Right. You know? So it was bizarre. So, um, you know, he said, call the Safeways. So I called every Safeway in the Baltimore area. They do not sell San Benedetto sparkling water. I called every grocery store that I could find. They do not sell San Benedetto sparkling water. I called every Walmart, Target. Um, there's some like, you know, some little, um, you know, like deli places will have yeah. certain waters. I called every deli place I could find. No one had this water. They just don't sell this water in oh this area. Oh my gosh. This um, just feels like a wild It was terrible. Chase. Meanwhile, I have... Oh, an event going on. Yeah. So finally, and I'm, you know, finding, trying to find the sugar-free Red Bull as well. So that's easier. So I'm on the phone with Walmart and they're however far away from his hotel. And I'm like, can I just get some Voss sparkling water and some sugar-free Red Bull? Like, 
can I get this delivered? And they're like, no, like we don't do deliveries. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I need this in there. Somehow I got put on the phone with a very sweet individual who was just ready to help. And okay. I don't know if she could hear the tears coming, um, but she got all my supplies and she delivered them to the hotel for me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and he was not satisfied with the Voss sparkling water. Um, but it did, he did tell me later, like it did prove to him that I wasn't going to give up. When a fire arose, I was still going to try and put it out. Oh, wow. And so like if something funny. real ever showed up. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going yeah. to figure out how to fix it. Um, wow. So he claims it was a test, but I think he was just trying he to. He claims it was a test. Yes. Okay. But you're thinking, no, you're, you're addicted. Yeah. No, I'm thinking like <laughs> you just need your San Benedetto. Yeah. You need rehab. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's his. That kind of summarizes that summarizes. Oh, what can I speak? Um, summarizes. Good, yeah, yeah, summarizes yeah. a good sense of my first time there. Um, but after a few months, I started just taking over sales and I started taking over like my actual lead events, um, and that was great. I loved that. And you just loved the whole job, the whole position. I was doing corporate and weddings, okay. um, and nonprofits. Wow, that's um, a lot. Yes, um, I loved weddings, um, which is what I'm doing now. Um, I. Nonprofits are wonderful. I'm so glad and thankful that we have such great people who are running nonprofit events. Um, they are a little even more stressful than weddings for me. Um, so I nonprofit events are yes, more stressful. Yes, um, and corporate events are, you know, you need them, but no one really wants to be there. So it's a different vibe and it's a different yeah. atmosphere. Like um, this is the office party nobody wants yes, to go to. Right, but and they're sitting there and they're just watching presentation after presentation, right? Like they're not having a lot of fun. So mm. when the guests are having fun, I'm having fun. Um, so that's why, you know, steered a lot towards weddings. Yeah, yeah. Weddings and nonprofits. Yeah, because people right. with a nonprofit, they have a sense of a mission that they're yes. on. And so they're all united because they have a same identity. Yes, exactly. It's just more stressful in the sense of raising money. Um, yes. That is a, a more stressful part for the event planner. Yeah. Yeah. So are you doing all three right now or just weddings? No, I will only do weddings now. Okay. I will not do okay. anything besides weddings. Yeah. Tell, talk to me about wedding yeah. planning because I read, this was maybe 10 years ago, that the average wedding in the United States costs $34,000, which yes. just kind of, that was 10 years ago. I have no idea what they cost now. But that just kind of blew my mind, but it just, I don't know. It just would seem like the whole wedding industry would be its own little universe. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah, so tell me um, all about it. Tell me the yeah. good, the bad, and the weird. Yeah, um, it's, it is exactly that. Like, it's our own little bubble. Um, it's our own little club. Um, and we're really lucky in Kansas City. We have such a stable and, like, really great vendors um, okay. and really great people in the industry. Um, the camaraderie with it, it it's awesome. Um, yeah, that, so I'm very fortunate to be with my company. Um, I've been with them for two years and they are just, I mean, my boss is incredible. She started this company in 1996. Okay. She's just, so she's like led the way or paved the path for what weddings are in Kansas City. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she is amazing. So well, I'm so well, lucky that I get to learn from her. I have to admit, every wedding that I've been to in Kansas City, it seemed like everything has gone super smoothly. 
That's good. You know, there's not a wedding singer incident among them. You know, the Adam Sandler movie where like crazy things happen at weddings. Like, yes, things I was a guest at a wedding a few weekends ago and the DJ started singing to us. I was not the planner. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's uh, really I don't think funny. they had a planner. Um, so, yeah, so I guess, yeah, tell me a happy story, tell me a challenging story, and then tell me a weird story. Yeah. Um, I will tell you my happy story was um, this past October. Okay. Um, and my bride, I'd been with her for about nine months, and she was a full-service bride. So when she signed on with me, like, we did it together. Like, we were in the trenches together. I booked all the vendors for her. Um, I knew her wedding. Like, I didn't have to open my binder once. Like, I knew it was coming and when it was coming. That's the beauty of full-service. Um, and her dad's speech actually dedicated, like, three minutes to me and, like, my services and how appreciative they were. And my love language is affirmations. I'm, like, giving you all the affirmations. Um, And it was just so beautiful. And I'm actually doing her sister's wedding now. Um, And it just, like, I feel like I'm a part of the client's day. And it's so... It's such a great feeling, you know, to feel like you're in it with them and to watch the day evolve and to watch the couple... Um, and then to be mentioned in the speech, right? Like that's, it was, it was just such a great honor and compliment that the father of the bride, you know, spent some time thanking me. It's like um, that note from the student. Yeah, You know, it's something no, that absolutely. makes everything else worthwhile. Yes. Like all of the blood, sweat and tears. I'm like, yes, like this is why I do it. Um, oh, a challenging story. Yeah. I would say it was also an October wedding from this past year. Okay. Um, I got a call July 1st last summer from, um, you know, my my boss. She gets the inquiry. She passes them on to us. Okay. And said that they were, in, in, you know, inquiring for full service for October. Um, and by that time, it was July, so I was thinking, you know, they probably have their wedding planned. So I do the consultation with them. Um, and it turns out they are in L.A. And their wedding, because of COVID, had to be completely canceled. And they were out tons and tons of money, um, but they still wanted to get married. And it just so happens that they had a family farm in Lee Summit, oh, Missouri. And so okay. they said, we want to have our wedding on October 10th still, and we want you to plan it. And this is our budget. And because they had lost so much money, okay. the budget was rather slim, okay. for, especially for creating a wedding on a farm. Mm. Um, and I still took it on. And it ended up being... I mean, it was a challenge. Like, I definitely, I worked and then some. Like, it was, it was very hard work um, to plan a wedding in three months. Um, but it turned out beautiful. And my clients, they were very happy. So, it, I mean, Good. challenging but rewarding. Good. Okay, and then a weird story. A weird story. I don't know if I have a weird story. Okay. Just yet. We'll let that one go. Yeah. Maybe one will come to you a little bit later. Okay. So what are your future plans in terms of this event planning business? And the reason I ask is because, well, you also are a full-time teacher. Right. So, you know, at a certain point, maybe two jobs could be overwhelming. Yes. So I'm just kind of curious <laughs> as to what your future plans yeah. are. It already is at times. Um, I have five weddings this fall, back to back to back to back. So it's going to be crazy. Um, I don't know yet. I just know that I'm not married yet. Um, hopefully the ring's on the way. Um, and I don't have kids yet. Uh-huh. Um, God willing, he'll give me a lot. But I'm able to do it right now. I know that that will have to change. There's no, I will, I just, I cannot do both. Um, and they're two very different loves. They're two very different passions. 
Um, and, and one is definitely more stable than the other, right? Like when COVID hit, all my weddings were shut down. Right. Um, but, you know, in the but, future, if we lived in times that are even semi-normal, both right. of these should be fairly stable Absolutely. workplaces, teaching yes. and weddings. Absolutely. That should go on forever. Absolutely. And financially, where do I make more money? You know, I, I am a teacher. I recognize that. Um, so I don't know yet. It, it really just depends on what God has in store in the sense of, will I be blessed enough to have how many children? Or will I be blessed to have children? Gotcha. Um, and that, I think, will dictate it. I There's no way I can do both. Or no way I can do all three of being, a, or four, I guess, being a wife, being a mom, teacher, and wedding planner. There's no way. Yeah, that's um, four things. That's a lot of things. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's we'll just, a lot of things. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, just a few random questions then for you. Okay. Um, since you are a teacher and you're extremely organized and you love to read, would you ever homeschool your kids? I have considered it. Um, I think that it would be a wonderful experience for me. And I think like selfishly, yeah. I would love it. Yeah. Um, and I will say to in today's world, sometimes I have thought about it. Um, but we are so lucky in, well, I mean, I'm from Missouri, but you know, Missouri and Kansas that we still have like St. James is a great school. It is a great right? school. And, and to have the opportunity to send my kid to a school like St. James would be amazing. If I didn't have schools like St. James, you would um, homeschool. I would homeschool. Yeah. Yes. If I didn't have schools that I, I was confident in and we were, you know, they were teaching the same beliefs and values, then I would homeschool. Um, but knowing that I have schools out there, you know, and I work at a school like St. James, mm-hmm. then I'm confident sending my kid kid to school. Um, gotcha. But so, if that would ever change, which, you know. So you're open to it. Yes, I think it would be definitely a Just challenge. Just depending upon the situation yes, and the Yes, depending on the situation, depending on the opportunities out there for my kid. Okay, and then yeah. the driving thing is going to be your values and your children's values, essentially. Right. I believe in Catholic education. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, something that I heard a long time ago, well, actually in the last six months, but I really agreed with it was, don't ever send your kids to a school that does not support your values. Yeah, right, exactly. I just, I thought, hey, that's crystal clear English. Why didn't I think of that myself yeah. in exactly those words? Because that's just absolutely perfect. Right. Because, you know, part of my values are I can teach kids to work hard and mm-hmm. to value books. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I think that they would always be able to get work and to further educate themselves mm-hmm even if they didn't go to a formal setting of right. some kind. Right. You know, so, yes. yeah. My kids definitely would not be good at math or science if I homeschooled them. <laughs> I think that's where the homeschooling outfits just seem like they form cooperatives where, okay, you can't teach math, but the lady down the street can teach math. Mm-hmm. And so then 10 kids gather in her living room and then they, they get the math that way. Yeah. So they wind up forming like these cooperatives, I think is, is what happens. Right, maybe. Yeah, I definitely don't know enough about it. Um, I've known a lot of people who have been homeschooled. I was not homeschooled, but I taught a lot of university classes. And sometimes the brightest, friendliest, most eager people were all homeschooled. Oh, really? There's one girl, I still remember her. Her name is Amber Kegley. And she gave me free tickets to go to the Nutcracker Suite because she was performing at... I think the nicest opera in town. And she had this quiet voice and she was just very demure. And everybody just hung on her every word. Because whenever she had something to say, it was brilliant. Right. Absolutely brilliant. And I I knew another man named David 
who uh, married, and now he has six children, but I think his parents kind of topped out on the math and science at a certain point, and then he had to kind of go down the street, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, he became a mechanical engineer. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, I mean, he's taken, you know, advanced calculus three right. and just all the good stuff. That's amazing. You know, yeah. So, I mean, it can be done. Oftentimes, they would homeschool all the way through high school and then college. Well, I guess all the people I know who were homeschooled, who went on to college, just did a banner, banner job. So... I was raised at a place where people were, some people were really against homeschooling. And so then there were these stereotypes of like, okay, girls with ankle length skirts and just, you know, just, I don't know. They thought that they were like creatures from another world or something like that. But in my experience that the main criticism that was leveled against homeschool children was, is that, well, they're just not social enough. I would, that would be my concern. That would be the concern. And so that's why I think the co-ops have formed. And then I found out, oh my goodness, some of them have sports leagues. Some Mm -hmm. of them have theater programs. uh, Some of them have classes in common. They have curriculums that they share. There's just a gigantic network of, of homeschooling cooperatives that are out there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of news to me because I didn't grow up with that. And it was just kind of neat to find it out. Right. Okay. Um, Would you raise your kids, just getting back to the random questions, would you raise your children to be entrepreneurs? Yes. Okay. And tell me why. Tell me why. Um, I think that it speaks volumes to those who are willing to go out and to work hard and to figure out what makes me happy, but also what will make me financially successful. Okay. Um, and I think that we need leaders in this world and we need strong entrepreneurs and we, that's, what's gonna, I think that we need that. Um, and if my kid looked at me and he said, you know, I want to be a teacher, then my kid wants to be a teacher. Um, but if my kids are interested in that part and that, you know, fulfilling that, then I absolutely will support that. Awesome. Okay. Um, I guess the last of the random questions, you're a very organized person. (laughs) Um, would you marry somebody who as just as type A and as organized as you are? Because you're kind of a driving force. I don't know. Um, or would my, you marry somebody who's just super laid back? So my boyfriend is is very laid back. Um, and I see it as a really great balance. Like he reminds me to stop fretting the small stuff. Okay. Like I will be hung up on things for a long time. I will kind mm. of let like it consume me. Okay. Um, and he'll kind of bring me back, like bring me back to earth. Um, he's not super organized. He's not as like, I mean, for as organized as I am, I'm actually late pretty often. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. But so he, but he reminds me, um, to have fun and to let go sometimes and to understand that I cannot control everything. So I love that balance because I like to be in control, but I can't have someone else want to be in control. <laughs> so but I do think it's a good balance what we have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds very good. Um, so maybe two last questions. Um, second to last, advice. Um, if you had the opportunity to talk to 18-year-olds mm-hmm. who would just be hanging on your every word, they were like whipping out their notepads, they want to write down what you say, and they say, Miss Broncato, I'm about to go off to college. Give me all of the advice that you have. Just give it all to me. What I would, would you say? I would say make connections. Okay. Um, get as much experience doing different things as you possibly can. 
I don't care if you're mopping floors in a law firm. If you want to be a lawyer, get in there and start mopping those floors. Um, but I also would remind them that adulthood comes very quickly. Yes. And it is hard. Yes. And pretty soon, taxes will be knocking on your door, too. <laughs> um, and I would tell them to try and enjoy those years that they do have in that beautiful stage of 18 to 22. And to relish in that, but to not lose sight of what they need to do when they are 22. Like, it comes very quickly. Um, and they're going to be happy with their 18-year-old self when they were mopping the floors at a law firm if they want to go to law school. Because when they need a rec letter, hmm. they're going to go to their boss, who has a well-known name. Um, and they're going to get those connections. So that's what I would, I would try to find that balance of work and play and to keep it as much as they can. Um, and also to keep their faith as okay. strongly as they can. College tends to challenge it more oh, for sure. than others. I think in the classroom mm -hmm. and outside of the classroom. Absolutely. I became more passionate about my faith being at Mizzou than I ever was in Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think with you, I, I'm just, I'd be very curious as to your response to this, but I think that you enjoy a challenge I and do. relish a challenge. I love it. I so, love confrontation. I love a challenge. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm I, such a weirdo. So I think that if you were around a bunch of people who all thought the exact same way, like, oh, we're all good Catholics here, let's go to the homeless shelter, you'd be like, well, I don't know. I have a very different idea. Right. I just think that that would be <laughs> how you would roll. Typically. I do like to challenge, and I do like to confront. Um, yeah, but I was challenged in my faith at Mizzou, um, and I was challenged of why the Catholic Church teaches certain things and why they believe certain things, and I was so grateful for my foundation, but I was even more grateful that even when I challenged my faith, it was strong enough to come back to my faith. Not that I ever left it, but there's something about asking questions and growing, and that's what I was able to do in college. Oh, for sure. I just, I feel every idea that gets tested is much stronger for it. Absolutely. I, I think whether it's religion or it's politics or it's what I'm teaching, absolutely. Hundred percent. You know, if I say, hey, I think the Great Gatsby is one of the best books ever written, and then somebody else says, Well, I read it four times and I think it's terrible. I'm and ready I get to go for that. Yeah, argument. yeah, let's let's uh, let's <laughs> fight let's over that. Out. Yeah, let's fight over that. I think that would just be awesome. So okay. Uh, my last question. Um, let's just fast forward 15 years from now, mm -hmm. um, and let's say that you are very happy. Why are you happy? I have lots of kids. Okay. Um, I am financially stable. Okay. Um, I have a great community around me. Okay. Um, and I'm with my family a lot and my friends a lot, um, and I'm still very faith-driven. Okay. Um, yeah, that's... The pretty picture. Okay. Of and what, what does your recreation look like in that scenario? Um, I don't know. How old will I? Oh, I'm just trying 15 to years from today. Yeah. Are you trying to think of something age appropriate? Yes. Okay. You're playing tennis and getting your nails done. You're right. I'll be playing pickleball still. No. There you go. Yeah, you'll still be agile and fit. Hopefully. And I hope. To, yeah, no, I definitely hope that I'm still, hit, I'm still fit. Um, I'm not very athletic okay. now, even. Uh -huh. um, like, it's a stretch for me to play pickleball right okay. now when I'm 26. But it's a challenge. Yes, it's a challenge. So maybe I'm still still doing the same things. Okay. Maybe I'm golfing. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. 
Uh, what ultimately, this is my very last question, what ultimately do you want to be known for? Gosh, I'm so glad you asked this because I have been needing the reminders lately. I have always said that I want to write a book mm. um, because I think that, I mean, you, that's the best way for your name to live on and your legacy to live on outside of your core, your family. Um, and so I hope that I become a writer and that I actually write a book. Well, I hope, I hope you do too. Me too. <laughs> Lucia, this has just been absolutely wonderful. And I just really appreciate you taking the time. It's been great. Thank you for having me. I loved this. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The next episode will be on Tuesday or maybe Thursday. 